recurve buck down, baby. Oh my gosh, that was freaking awesome. This is my first public land buck. This is my second set of the season. I can't even, oh my gosh, I just heard him fall. I just heard him fall. Uh. I just shot my Kentucky buck. Two, one. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Chris Leppert. And tonight I am joined by a good buddy, Jake Bush. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I can't complain too much. Just did some scouting this weekend with my little one and uh, got out and got some vitamin D from the, the sun that like never hid behind the clouds today. I if if I wanted to go hunting. It would be dreary and rainy and crappy outside. Now that I want to go shed hunting, it was bright as hell today. So it was tough. But um, we wanted to bring you on here to tell the story of your season. I know it was quite the epic one, and it, it, it wasn't epic in, in the way that most would think. But there's there's a lot to be learned from it. And um Man, still congrats. I mean, you literally, you fought like a dog till the end, dude. And, and, you know, talking to you a few minutes ago, I'm kind of excited to hear the rest because, God, you went through it. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a crazy year, man. And it was just adversity over adversity over adversity over and over. And I just, I just kept digging and clawing and I could to try to make it happen. And, you know, unfortunately it didn't happen. It's, it's bittersweet and we'll kind of get into that. You know, I had the buck I was after at 15 yards, uh, just nine on his head. But um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a challenging season I've ever had. And I learned a lot. You know, there's a lot of good takeaways from it. And uh, I think that I'll be more prepared if this ever happened again, we have like another EHD outbreak or just if I can't find a buck, but I learned a lot about some of the survivors out there. And I think that that's going to help me. You know, I've been, I've scouted a lot, but the one thing that I will say is that some of the areas that I've had success in, in the past, I kind of settled into those areas and accepted like certain things that they give me, right? Like this, this hub gives me a certain opportunity at a certain time of year. And that's kind of it. Well, what I learned is, no, you can go in there and there's so much more opportunity, but you just have to look at it a completely different way. So it took it took me really stepping outside of my comfort zone, what I what I really like to do and just just keeping after it and just trying to, you know, like the brainstorming thing. I was just basically sat down at a table and I'm brainstorming, like, how can I find a living, breathing deer? OK, <laughs> I found one. that's a That's a start. OK, now that I got a living, breathing deer. How can I find a mature living, breathing deer? And then anytime that would happen, it seemed like even from late November, <clears throat> they would continue to shed out on me. And so they wouldn't have antlers on their head. So it was like this constant evolution. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was something, man. Oh, that's so stressful to, be, to even hear. Here in Ohio, we have what, like, five months a season or something like that is super long and to grind that out you hear about guys grinding it out and then you look at their season and it ends like december 15th or december 30th or january 1 like man we've got over a month 
to go in Ohio when a lot of other seasons end. And then it's starting to, for most people, it gets cold. Here, it could do anything. You could have tornadoes in January for all we know. So um, why don't we roll into your story and maybe start start with like your, your postseason scouting and then just roll through your entire year as much as you want to divulge and I'll just pester you with questions in and out as you go. No, that sounds good. That's perfect. Um, so going into postseason scouting last year, which really started for me like I would say even October because I filled my tag the year before yep. in September. So I was out in the woods quite a bit, you know, uh, moving cameras around. I hunted with my brother. I hunted with my girlfriend, uh, had a couple of buddies come to town. And I was really just trying to put pieces together and do what we do. You know, you you're always trying to stack the odds in your favor and build up the best deck of cards that you can throughout the offseason. Um, I gave it I gave it everything I had. I would say that it was the most miles I put on in a year, hands down. You know, I was wearing through boots pretty quick. Um, but I, I really wanted to tackle some new areas. And that's been something that's important to me is normally when I kill one, I want to I want to vacate the county and I want to go kill one in another county. And I kind of like that. And I still have like places I can fall ba fall back on, obviously. But I really like the adventure side of it and just like the constant challenge and kind of changing the terrain a little bit. Um, so I, I, you know, scouted a lot of new terrain, found a ton of sheds. I mean, you and I went out and we found some sheds, mm -hmm. uh, that buck that we had that I found the antler off. He died by the way. He, he died oh. during the, yep. Yep. So the, uh, the saga with that, you know, that was the first deer I ever had on camera in Ohio and I was going to go after him, but yeah, he's dead. Um, but so, yeah, so I, I mean, we found a bunch of antlers. We had a bunch of prospects for this year. Uh, I've talked about a buck that I called split brow on a couple different podcasts. And he was one that was in the area that I killed my buck last year. So split brow was like the buck in, in that core area. And my den right before season and pushed split brow out as a four and a half year old. And he was like, probably right at the one fifth. Um, this year split brow came back as a half rack. <clears throat> he was a half rack. And then he ended up, dying of vhd anyways along with a really big eight point in there i had a probably a mid 50s kind of spindly but huge framed eight point in there and they um so it was just you know I, I had a lot of prospects going into season i put a ton of cameras out the one thing that i look back on this year that i think that i will do different from this point on is i ran cameras in like five core areas. So because I've been in Ohio for, you know, this was my fourth year down here, I, I've really got some of these areas dialed in pretty good. And uh, I, I just said, you know what, I'm going to take my top three that I already have, and I'm going to locate two more good areas. And I'm going to run like 10 to 15 cameras per core area. So I can really learn them. Like I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to step away from locating a hundred or 150 deer this year good you know bucks this year and i'm gonna locate let's say 40 of them and i'm just gonna trust my process and trust the fact that there's gonna be a couple really good you know higher class bucks in those areas so i kind of put all my eggs in five baskets if you will as opposed to normally i'll run like 
one camera per hub, but I'll run a camera in 50 hubs across the state. And so the pool of deer that I get to see and I get to choose from is huge. And that's actually one thing I was going to tell you when we were, when we were talking earlier was, you know, I, I just do your best to up at least. Okay. I'm talking to myself. I'm telling myself, do your best to not get caught up in like a core area that you're comfortable with and make sure that you're casting a wide enough net where if you have a major EHD outbreak or you don't have a buck for whatever reason, you have a bunch of other places that you can go, you can pull cameras as backup plans. Um, yeah. You know, obviously being really intimate and understanding your core areas is important. If you don't have a deer chasing those core areas, they don't do anything for you. So I, like I said, I, I ran cameras in the core areas. Um, I went out and started pulling those cameras the same time I was like early September, first week of September. And immediately I got to the first spot. I call it Tornado Ridge. I've talked to you about it because the tornado took out this whole white oak flat this year. Um, I got in there and I had a bunch of cameras set up that had done really well in the past, really well all summer long. And I was going through those pictures and I was like, man, in, in June and July, in the beginning of August, I had some of these spots i had 10 to 12 mature bucks on these cameras you know they're up in clear cuts in the big woods where it might be the only clear cut so it's like uh it's a it's a summertime food source and then the deer will disperse as they get more territorial throughout the summer so uh i went in there and this what's left of that white oak flat was dropping like crazy in september and i didn't have a single buck on camera for over a month none of the scrapes were opened up there was no sign. There was no deer scat anywhere on that flat. There was acorns everywhere, white oak acorns everywhere and no deer. And so immediately in my head, I was like, something's not right. You know, I've, this is, this is what I love to do more than anything in the world is hunt deer early season over white oak flats and hills. Like that is what I love to do. And I, take pride in the fact that I can find those spots and kind of fine tune them. And for me to go into that first spot, like my number one area, and I don't have a single, not a single deer in 30 days on that camera on, on any of them. That to me, I was like, something's wrong. And I didn't, I heard of EHD, but I wasn't really sure if we had it yet. And, uh, I kept going through all my core areas and I got through all five of them and I hadn't had a mature buck on any of those cameras in three to four weeks. And that did not make sense to me because going into season in the past in some of these hubs, I would have, I mean, handfuls of mature bucks. And I'm talking 150, 160, 170 inch here hitting scrapes within minutes of each other, these hubs. Like they're just awesome locations. And uh, I had another buck that I was really excited about this year. He ended up scoring 164. So he, he didn't blow up as much as I thought he would, but he was the biggest body deer I've ever had on camera. I'll, I'll send you a picture later. I might've already sent you one. It's a huge, huge body deer, typical 10 point, just a beautiful buck. But that location, there's a, a guy that hunts the prime that I talked to on Facebook Messenger a little bit, and he found 15 mature bucks dead in the fields down below. And so when, when he told me that, I was like, okay, EHD has hit the majority of these areas. And immediately I went into scramble mode. So I started going into all the spots that I had these cameras and pulling a lot of these cameras out and just dispersed the country. 
Um, going into the season, I mean, I talked about it on podcasts. I've talked to you about it where I didn't carry my bow with me. I just, I covered ground trying to find deer sign. I covered all the white oak flats that I could find. And I was really just trying to find, I mean, it got to the point where late October, I believe it was late October, I found a scrape. And I was so excited about about finding one scrape that was open that it was was unbelievable. But the the problem with that is normally I have, you know, 50 cameras on 50 scrapes that are all wide open. And I still only have like one or two target bucks. So now I find one scrape while the deer that's working that scrape is a two and a half year old. And so I got in this thing where all I was finding was young deer no matter where I would go. And as I'm doing this, I'm stacking up deadheads. I mean, I'm finding all sorts of deadheads. It's it's bad. You know, I'm finding deer that are doing circles and creeks. And like I was taking videos of them, calling the game wardens and trying to get them out there to put the deer down. And it was it was a really crazy time of year. But uh, so as I was going through October, I mean, I was not locating any deer. And I went out and just it got to the point where I would just go to clear cuts or thickets and I'd walk right through the center of them and just try to bump deer. And even if I could hear a deer, that was like a sign that there's a deer alive here. And I went the entire month of October without eating a deer in the woods. I didn't, I didn't see one. I didn't bump one in all my scouting. And you know, I'm out, I take multiple weeks of vacation in October. So I'm out every day hiking 10, 12, 14 miles located deer and I, I can't locate them, man. I'm, I'm really struggling through October. Um, I get into November and I get into a little bit of rut activity early November, but it's young bucks. And I, you know, I had, I passed a couple bucks up, uh, sub 20 yards, but they were two and a half year olds. And I just, it was kind of the same thing. I couldn't find anything. Um, now when November, like mid no, I would say the first week, second week of November hit, I started finding but the majority of them were three and a half year olds and maybe like an occasional four and a half year old but those are just deer that are going to be even bigger and better next year and i can target them and have more of a challenge in the future so i just i steered clear of them you know i've got all through season i had this one typical 12 point three and a half year old that i would say was right about 160 inches and i just wanted him to grow so i never targeted him never took my bow in that area i just stayed away from there and let him do his thing um and i was just trying to find one you know my brother came down november for 17 days and i put my hunting and my bow to the side and for 17 days which was awesome we ended up having two encounter bucks uh he's never killed a buck with his bow so that's a process and if you remember when you're younger trying to get that first bow kill like the first buck with a bow is is such a learning process and i i remember you know being a kid going through that and it was just i would draw at the wrong time or i would get really shooken up and uh shoot over top of one's back or you know i just i couldn't put it together for a long time and we kind of had that you know we pretty good opportunities we didn't end up filling a tag uh we had blast though had a good time um when he left i got right back into it and this is the first shed buck that i came across so I checked a hub in a really big wood setting, um, very, very low densities to begin with. And this hub, the prior, like leading up to me checking that, had a beautiful eight point uh, going through there. 
every day. I mean, he was he was definitely looking for does. You know, we're in the late November time frame now, so the bigger bucks that are around are starting to move a little bit. So when I when I saw that, I uh, decided, okay, I'm gonna go pull every camera that I have in here and see what kind of deer I have in this area now and what they're kind of doing because there's there's really no food and the densities are super low at this point. So uh, I went up to the side of a clear cut and there's a little flat and normally it's a really good oak flat there was no acorns on it at all this year but i checked that camera and i had that buck and i could i could tell it was him he had a line in like the middle of his nose and then he had uh kind of like socks on his legs like he had longer socks than normal and <laughs> like the the you know the white went up further and uh i i checked that camera and he had shot out either the night before or that day and he had these big bloody bases and you could you know i could tell he was a, a mature deer for sure so he shot out early no and he didn't seem like i didn't see a wound on the camera so i think that's due to just being stressed out from the ehd thing and being sick and maybe the lower densities were causing the deer to have to run around more to find does i'm not exactly sure but he shot out early and i remember posting a story to my instagram and saying like time's running out like time's running out this year, you know, it's not going to be the year the year that you want to go to the end because chances are going to the end, you're going to just in front of a deer that doesn't have antlers on his head. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I can tip man, and you know, I hit December, uh, and I was doing the same thing. I was, I was actually morning hunting a lot and I would go out way early and the whole idea behind what I was doing is i would like let's say that i would want to hunt this big ridge system just to look for deer you know there's a lot of clear cuts around so i would set up on the let's say the furthest ridge to the west on the, like a north wind day and i would set up on kind of the eastern slope of that ridge and i would glass the next ridge and if i didn't see a deer by midday walk down that ridge to a bedding area i'd get down and i'd go to the edge of that ridge and I did that for like 10 or 15 days in a row where I would bounce the, to the next ridge and just try to watch for a deer to walk down that ridge to the bedding. And I just, you know, I would sit there all day in the stand with my binoculars glassing all day, trying to just locate deer. And I saw two deer doing that and there was two does. Jeez. And so it was, I struggled. I'm going to get like right down to it right now. I saw six bucks all year and I spent over 70 days in the woods. So I was averaging a buck sighting every 11 or 12 days, which is absolutely crazy to me. And it, that these are good spots. These are really like good spots generally. So it was, it was, you know, I, I knew that I had to keep switching it up and that's what I continued to try to do is just switch it up as much as I could. Um, Throughout December, it was it was the same thing. I, I really couldn't locate them. I went back to New York for a late muzzleloader hunt. Um, me and my brother like to do that. It's it's after Christmas, so I was up there for seven days and uh, came back to Ohio with the intentions of okay, I need I need a little bit of snow on the ground, and if I get snow, I'm gonna get up on top of a ridge and I'm gonna walk from day from daylight until sunset every day until I cut a mature buck track in the but I never got <laughs> snow in like the last two weeks of season. And it's actually funny. The first day I was in the woods with snow is the day that I found the buck. 
and that was it was Derek and I went out and uh we were going after we were going into a spot that had a couple good deer really couldn't locate where they were at I was struggling with trying to find exactly where they were at because of the lack of food this year top of all these ridges is Greenbrier so that provides bedding and that provides like just a browse source when they don't have acorns you know they didn't have white oaks to feed on we didn't have any red oaks in the areas I hunt this year we didn't have any chestnut oaks this year so I was kind of relying on the chestnut oaks late season. I never found a single tree that produced. But uh, so what that did is instead of having like one little that was the food source, now the entire ridge system's the browse source because there's no like, there's no destination food source at this point. So I, uh, I kind of had the same thought process there where I started out on the far ridges and I would just continue to work my way down the sub ridges little by little. And the day that we went in, we went to target a south facing clear cut and we went up. There's like this big, long ridge that runs north to south and there's a southwest facing sub ridge. There's actually three of them side by side that are kind of small. And then the major clear cut ridge would be in the north a little bit more. So I decided that I wanted to walk up that way. So I didn't I didn't want to I wanted to be able to get in there without blowing out the areas that I had been hunting for that deer. and. I, I wanted to like navigate through it. And you know, I'm really big on access. So I made like this big S loop to get in there. And I decided, okay, this one sub ridge, the ridge that has the least cover and the least potential for a deer to be bedded on it. So that's the one that we're going to go up to get on top of mine and kind of loop around into the spot to hunt that deer. And uh, that deer was on the sub ridge that I decided to walk up which blows my mind that that's where he wanted to be. But he was laying there watching the hiker trail. So this actually worked out really good. This is the only way I ended up getting on this deer was we, we walk up to the first little flat of that point of that ridge. And I look down and I see this big bed, mature buck bed, no doubt about it. And there's a satellite bed. And I looked back at Derek and I was like, dude, he was just laying here. We just bumped this deer. Like you could see the running tracks and everything away. So what we did is we continued up that ridge and we found the entrance trail going into that bedding area. So, you know, we dropped <laughs> our plan immediately and said, okay, let's find how this deer is getting on this ridge. We did that. I put a camera up there and now I have a plan of attack for the next time I in condition. Uh, I had to work for a couple days. Unfortunately, I had to go back to work. Um, but the next day, those conditions was the last day I hunted and I went back in there and sat right over top of that same bedding area. So the way that I, we, that, let me back up a little bit before that I hunted that same ridge system, but I hunted further to the East and we had a North wind that day. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to set up in that spot on a North wind. I wanted to set up in that spot on a south wind just because of the way I thought that they would kind of J-hook in there. Um, so on the north wind, I stayed back. And my whole thought process when I go after, it was really completely different than my normal thought process where extremely aggressive. I was sitting back and throwing a lot of observation sits and just trying to catch him. I was trying to expose a weakness because to be honest with you, at this point in the game, I didn't have this... I didn't, I didn't know of a weakness that the buck had yet that was, that made me feel confident enough to take the kill set. So I continued to kind of play the long game, but I knew I was running out of time. And, you know, 
it was just condition based that it it fell the way it did um so i went i went into that spot the next day i didn't see the deer the night before i went into that spot the next day and <clears throat> I, I figured he would be better in there but i it was so crunchy late season we didn't have any snow and we were getting like those freezing cold temps like the last day i hunted i think it was a low of 11 degrees that morning so you know there's no cover in the woods right now there's there's not a lot of noise there's not a lot of animals the squirrels aren't really out like there's nothing going on so when you're walking on those crunchy leaves it just echoes <laughs> you know it echoes yeah. for 100 yards even it's like my early season stalking game into a into a set is out of the question at this point so what i told myself is wake up every day that you have the right conditions and get down there and get set up and just sit all day waiting for that opportunity right before dark my thought process going into it i'm going to sit all day every day until i kill this and the previous four days is, i did it I did the same thing every day the day before obviously i didn't see anything um the last day i finally had the conditions to go back to found the beds on so i had a southeast wind which it was southeast wind in the morning and then midday it was going to switch to like a southwest wind so the southeast wind gave him what he needed to bed there, which was really important. I wanted him, it had to be a little bit east for him to bed on that ridge. If you're looking for an affordable technical gear style clothing that performs well, that cuts weight from your clothing, but not from your wallet, check out Huntworth. Whether you're hunting early season in Nebraska, mid season in Ohio, or late season in Iowa, Huntworth has a system to keep you comfortable and focused on your hunt. With early season fast approaching, we highly recommend checking out the Durham Lightweight Hunting Pants and the Midweight Shelton Hoodie. These items paired with an appropriate base layer will perform at a high level in multiple early season conditions when fishing and hunting. So we've been on the search for a new broadhead this year, and after doing some research and kind of looking around, we found this company called Afflictor Broadheads. We got our hands on some of the heads this summer to test out, and guys, I got to tell you, I believe that this head will be in our quiver this fall. Each and every broadhead is hand-assembled in their Texas facility by people who truly care about your experience. This year, I'll be shooting the K2 Mini and the K2 Hybrid. And I got to tell you, I'm absolutely loving them. They fly great, they're extremely durable, and the penetration is just deadly. I can't express it enough. I also love the practice pin feature these guys came out with. So far, I'm really, really impressed. To learn more for yourself, check them out at afflictorbroadheads.com. Um, so... Is this a northwest facing secondary ridge? So this is a it's like a it's like west southwest facing ridge. So it go it's like it goes it goes southwest off the main spine, but that south slope is where they were kind of they were bedded on like the point of that south slope. So, you know, okay. obviously, like any sort of westerly ridge, you'll have the north face and the south face. So he was bedded more on the south face, but it had a little bit of southwest in the main spine of that sub ridge. So the way that he was entering, he was coming from 
the southeast and then he had to go around a hog's back and he would just kind of cut this one trail like right over top of a logging road and then he would access he could j-hook from that point so he still felt comfortable j-hooking so where i was set up was 25 yards to the north of where he was cutting that logging road so any version of and i'm bulletproof but he can still have his j-hook for the morning and then my thought process was as the day goes on if i have a southeast wind all day it's going to bleed down that ridge and when the thermals start to dump he's going to smell me because midday i was going to have that wind switch to a southwest wind i knew that my wind would be okay and it would blow over top of the spine of that ridge i was high enough up the ridge and i was just over top of the main spine of the sub ridge so like my thermals would dump down to the north as well <clears throat> so i thought I, okay. I thought i could be bulletproof for an all-day sit so i get in there you know i wake up at 2 a.m i drive down i get to the tree at like 3 45 uh freezing cold you know I, it was it was really really cold morning i remember being halfway up the tree just like so mad because i was sweating so bad and it was early and my hands were frozen stiff at this point and uh i just said you got to get up the tree like today's the day it's gonna happen um i got up the tree and i had three shed bucks come in at nine o'clock at 20 yards they were all younger deer but three shed bucks and i'm thinking like man i'm i'm pushing my luck at this point like it's only a matter of maybe even hours until this deer sheds uh at oh so before i got the tree one thing that i did was i knew that i didn't want to sit in the tree all day but i couldn't walk on the leaves so as i'm setting up my stand in the morning i i just kicked out like a big section beside this it was a big chestnut oak i was in a three trunk a three trunk chestnut oak that had like this huge base on it so i kicked out a bunch of leaves where i thought the sun would be so after those bucks came through at nine at like 10 30 11 o'clock i got down and i took like a three or four hour nap at the base of the tree i turned my heated <laughs> socks on and i you know put my hands in my muff and i have this okupa hand warmer and i just kind of like got in the sunlight a little bit i took a really good nap i woke up and i got back in the tree uh probably like three o'clock so like three hours left of my hunt at this point because i'm only expecting on i planned on seeing this deer the last 20 minutes of daylight i went out there with no intention of killing that deer until the last 20 minutes of daylight pretty much you know i figured that he would actually come in and jay before daylight so i wouldn't even get a in the morning <clears throat> which is exactly what happened i could hear a deer in the morning and then uh as the sun rose i could hear like some like a squirrel chattering down there and i assumed that there was a deer in that bedding area so i'm back in the stand um and I'm sitting there and it's getting windy and I have the Southwest. I mean, my wind's perfect. Everything seems right. And I keep telling myself like, this is, this is it. It's the first bluebird day we've had in a while. It's really cold. You know, it's, it's everything you ask for. Um, and so, you know, there I am hour 20 minutes before dark and I hear a, a big stick crack and like, it's, it's windy out and sticks are cracking, but that's a different, that's a different stick crack. Like that sounds totally different to me. And I remember telling myself that came direct from the bedding area. He's down there. Like the buck you want to kill is down there. And uh, I'm dust and surge, and then it'll kind of slow down. It'll surge again and slow down. And when it slows down, I can faintly hear footsteps down in that bedding area. And, you know, it, I'm like, that's it. That's and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And like probably 10 minutes goes by, and I can see a big mature body 
come out of that bedding area perfect. And when he gets like just to where he can see out of the ticket, <clears throat> he uh he does like the mature buck thing where he stops and he just turns his head left and right, back and forth for you know what seemed like eternity. It was probably 30 seconds, and he would take like a step or two and he would do the same thing. Like he was so methodical in what he was doing. And I knew it was him at that point. Um he was behind a big tree and I've got my binos up and, you know, I'm getting shaky because I've waited on this moment for the entire season. You know, I've been, this is like this, this buildup of just of emotion at this point where I'm like, I'm going to get it done. The, you know, the second to last day of season, it's going to happen. And he pops his head out from behind that tree. And the first thing I see is these big giant bases. And I just, my heart sank. And I was like, he shot out. He's, that's definitely him, but he shed. And uh, so I, I, I started filming him. And to add insult to injury, I didn't know that there was a scrape on that ridge because I didn't scout the top of that ridge. And he comes in at 15 yards and works this scrape for like two minutes. Like he's he's kicking up the leaves. He's got his nose up in the branches. He's rubbing his forehead. He's, he's doing the whole thing. He just doesn't have antlers on his head at 15 yards. And then uh, he walks over towards like where my camera was at and the whole time i mean i can shoot him he walks to where my camera's at and my it was cold out so and i i use cheap cameras so the cameras kind of make noise when it's cold and it made a noise and spooked him and he ran right back to the base of my tree and now he's at five yards and then he's at 10 yards and then he's at 15 yards and he's feeding on greenbrier and i'm just like <laughs> like get out of here wow. guy you know and if he would have yeah i've got all that on film if uh if he would have had one side i probably would have shot him and tried to find that other shed like i was at you know i i if i would have had one antler on his head i probably would have killed him and because that that antler is on that ridge i mean i think that i can go in there right now and find that set but that kind of would have been a you know it would have been a cool thing to do to kill one and then it's like okay well i gotta find his antler now which is awesome you know i know what bucky is because he's still got one so um but yeah you know it was bittersweet but it was it was bittersweet because after the season that i had that was the first encounter that i had with a mature buck and he was he was dead if i wanted him to be dead he just didn't have antlers on his head so it felt really good to put the plan together and make it happen um you know, that gives me a lot of confidence going into next year because a, a, I, I feel like, like I kind of told myself like, okay, you still got it. You know, like you're not going crazy, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, besides that, I, what I learned about that deer and like the, you know, week and a half pursuit that I had of him is unbelievable. And I, I've, I've been in that area a lot, but I've been very close minded to my hunting strategy in that area. And now that I have this open mind and I've seen what that deer likes to do and how he likes to navigate that terrain, uh, his preferred bedding areas, his, you know, I feel like I've got a really good picture of that deer, like in my head of what he's going to do. And if I can put that together next year over a white oak flat, I think he's in a lot of trouble. Um, so, so I feel good about that. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to put too much stock in a deer anymore because and a deer surviving anyways, because of the year we had, you know, like that's, sure. but if he makes it, I, I feel like I've got a good chance. So I can, I can hang my hat high, I guess, if you will. Um, God, yeah. 
because it, it ended on a bittersweet note, I guess. Well, there's a, I hate to be like super cliche or whatever. Cause it always seems like the guys that don't kill the deer, they say like, well, it's not about, it's not about filling tags. It's about memories and, and they're right. But at the same rate, you don't hear that unless they didn't kill a deer. Right. So then I've, I've had years like that where I struggled, but you yeah, still yeah. did it though. Like you, you did everything right. And yeah, you had a really insane run of bad luck. Um, but you, you fought through your entire season and then made it happen. It just happened to kick you between the legs one last time and give you another run of bad luck with the shed, but you had him dead. Like you said, I mean, yeah. that's, I'd be pretty pumped. So, I mean, I know you didn't get to, to hoist the buck up and everything and a hero pick and all that, but that would have been epic as hell, but still a hell of a season, man. And, and, uh, not a lot of people would have grind ground, ground that out, grinded it out. Um, it's, it's really cool to hear. So I have a few questions for you. So my first one is with your uh, selection of oaks, do you find that certain oaks are dropping earlier than others? And I, I mean white oaks. Um, so like, for example, the chinka pins, a chestnut oak is a white oak, yes? I, I believe so. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Okay. It's just like the least, like I heard people call it the hot dog of the deer woods. It's like the least preferred acorn in the woods, pretty much. Okay. You know, it's one of the biggest, but it's just not something they prefer for late season generally. Like that's why, that's why you can find a lot of antlers over top of chestnut oaks, because it's one of the last things that hasn't been fed on yet. And they can find those in the feed on late season. Okay. So, and... I think I know which ones those are. W would you describe a chestnut oak's bark as being very deep grooved and just solid as a rock? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Those are deep grooved, well, solid. It's kind of got like, uh, it's got like very sharp roots almost. Long, super long acorn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You find them all over the ground everywhere. That makes a lot of sense then. Okay. And they, I, I believe they also yep. have a, um a leaf that is very similar to a chinka pin but maybe a little smaller perhaps it's uh, yeah like, it's, like serrated. Uh, it's hard to explain yeah it, it's very serrated and then it comes to that little point at the yep. end it almost like yeah yeah okay yeah sorry i'm a, i've nerded out on the oaks this year and i'm just trying to make sure i've got all my all my things you know in my head lined up right um because I found I found this year that it seemed like, and this is that could have been this year, or it could have been that I was just learning it, but it seemed like the chinka pins dropped, you know, earliest, and then we ran into the bur oaks, which seemed, you know, I seemed to find uh, a lot more of the really huge bur oaks with gigantic, wide-spanning branches, and so they rain from, you know late September into October. And then I found them raining into the, the middle of November. Um, and then once we got to mid November, it was really, you know, red Oak time for the most part. Um, and I, I wasn't anywhere where I, I had the ability to even hunt 
that I know of, chestnut oaks. I didn't see many of those in Indiana. I definitely didn't see any where I was in Ohio. Um, Kentucky, I know there's some, but uh, I was focused on the burrs because they were they were freaking pouring acorns down there. Um, so when you talk about these hub scrapes that you're hunting, and I, I understand what a hub is, you know, where and and just to make sure we're on the same page, you're talking about where a bunch of like little secondary ridges kind of sort of point down to the same spot and create, you know, if you were to draw lines down them, you'd have like an intersecting point. Are you finding your hub scrape there or is it like up at the head or does it, does it vary? So it, it does vary. Um, you know, the, the hub scrapes, it varies a lot, but the ones that I like to target the most are typically the ones that are down in that bottom. Okay. And it's, there's so many factors that go into it. And, you know, like it's, it's, it's something that I really learned a lot this year. And like I said, like being, being closed-minded to things that work and not open-minded enough. And then like seeing where they're like, a lot of these areas still have good deer. They have, you know, potential. It's just, it hunts differently than, than my preferred method for Southern Ohio. So my preferred method is definitely the hub scrape down in the bottom where all the sub ridges meet. I like to have a lot of uh, diversity. So like different age structure of clear cuts is huge. Uh, multiple, if you can have, if you can stack in like multiple oak flats, like let's say you have a side hill of reds, you've got a good flat of whites. And then on top of the spine, you have chestnut oaks. I mean, that to me is like, you've got everything you need for year round food. You've got, you know, browse, plenty of browse. You have good security cover. If you can stack that with a hard to access spot, you've got everything you need to kill good mature deer every So I try to locate those as much as possible. But like where we found those sheds last year when we when you and I went out, that hub scrape is up on the rig, you know, but it's it's adjacent to the cut. So maybe there, and it's kind of adjacent to the uh to the elevation that they like to travel there it's like just a little bit above halfway up not quite upper third but close uh so you know it, it oh, depends wow. on the exact terrain I, th I think the big thing is just being able to be open-minded enough and they either you have to stick to what you believe in and find a bunch of those or you have to go into all these areas with a really open mind and be willing to hunt them differently and to understand them differently. Like each spot's not going to be the same and you just have to be able to learn it. Like that's one of those spots. That's like that. It hunts totally different than my other spots, but it's still very productive. Okay. So when you like, let's go back to your, um, your three last bucks that you've killed here in Ohio. Did you kill any of those off of a scrape that was down in the bottom or were, were you, hitting them up before they got to the scrape or how were you setting up? This is more for my benefit than anybody else's, but I would assume <laughs> I'm just trying to learn as much as I can, but hopefully somebody picks up something out of this. No, I like it. So all three of them were killed because of the hub scrape. So the first one, the, I knew where the, like the hub scrape is down in the bottom. There's another okay. scrape that was under the white oak that I killed him under, but it it was just a it was a, a feeding scrape basically. Like he's in the area, you know, he's working up sign. Um, 
but that deer got killed because of that hub scrape. I did that day was based on the conditions that I had and based on how confident I was that I thought he would be bedded in a specific bed. I decided to cut him off going to the hub scrape. So that's something that okay. if you sit back on the scrape and you have the wrong wind or he comes off the wrong wind, the wrong ridge, like you could run into issues. You could run into issues. You, know, you can you can run into issues either way, I guess. But there's times when I like sure. the main scrape, and there's times on the conditions that I like to just push it and get like cut him off going to that for whatever reason. You know, it could be even terrain based. Like maybe I think he's yeah. going to go downwind to the upscrape, so I'd rather kill him coming off the bed. Okay. Um, so the first year in Ohio, I killed him coming to the scrape. Second year in Ohio. It was a rut hunt, but I was bed hunting him going to the hub scrape to check it. And the reason that I knew he was in there is I went into that drainage and the hub scrape had fresh pee in it from that morning. And so I said, okay, he's in the bed. So I did the same thing. I worked, I worked up towards the, the bedding and killed him coming off that bed. And what's funny about that one is I went past a lot of good bedding, but it wasn't good bedding anymore because most of it lost cover you know, due to November. Uh, okay. And so they had pushed up into the bedding, which is like this kind of grassy, uh, like old clear cut, but it's got a lot of green briar in it too. He was better than that. Um, so like and then my third buck that I killed was, yeah, yeah. And so the third buck that I killed was directly on the hub scrape. I was targeting the hub scrape. It was, that spot is, special because when there's a good buck in there they it's it's a pinch point to go to a bunch of private ag like they <laughs> they have to funnel through this 100 yard wide area that just happens to be a white oak flat with a bunch of sub at the bottom so you have you have four wow. different white oak flats and whatever one spot is the best but it's a hub scrape going to a private food source on a funnel early season so like they here in there and it's the it's a north wind. I'm going in there after that deer, ten times out of ten, early season. Okay, alrighty. I I wondered about that because I remembered you talking in the film about having a northerly wind, and I thought, you know, I I'm just trying to piece everything together in my head, and I'm like, okay, is he hunting this north wind because he found, you know, he's got a south facing slope, and he found, uh, you know, sheds. And now he's like, well, I know where the, the bed is and everything. So I, I wondered about that. That's that's pretty slick. It's it's amazing how you run into spots like that that just set up. And if you can keep a secret long enough, you can run a deer on them. So the cool thing about that spot too, though, is there's so each direction has a private egg field. And they're on the same crop rotation. So you've got, imagine a hub system that faces to the northeast. And then you have a hub system that faces to the south. Let me see. This, to, the, to the southwest, right? Like you have one going this way, one going this way. And the sure. deer will show up on the food source that's set up for bedding for that day. So if it's a south wind, he shows up on the north cornfield. But if it's a north wind, he shows up on the south cornfield because he's shifting his bedding to the other side of the ridge. So he's determining all of all of his daily movement movements based off of his bedding location because food sources are the exact same. 
you know, he doesn't prefer one of those over the other for whatever reason. So that was a weakness that I exposed with that one. Okay. Wow. That's freaking sweet. So with late season, we've, we've talked a little bit about, um, we went scouting, you were, you're teaching me about secondary food sources and going from late season to now, what are you looking at as far as those secondary food sources? Um, I remember you talked a little bit about green briar. We've talked about, would you, would you consider a chestnut oak right now um, a secondary food source or a destination food source? It would be, it would, if, if there was, if I could find chestnut oaks this time of year, right? Like this year, it's a destination food source. My brother and I last year got on a ridge that had probably two dozen chestnut oaks and we found eight fresh antlers on it. Like all of the deer were bedding and feeding on that ridge while they were dropping their antlers. Yeah, it was, they can be really magical if you can find them. But it's one of those things, like, it's a cycle, right? Like, you're going to have years where they produce and years where they don't. The thing I've noticed about the chestnuts is the chestnuts, from what I've seen in the areas that I've been, and it could be different other places, grow. They're, like, they're the best chestnut oaks are on the spine of the ridge at the absolute highest you can find. And I don't know what the correlation is there or not, but it seems like they like the spine of the ridges at the highest elevation. I don't know. I don't know what causes that, but I know that that's something that I look for late season. Um, this year, one thing that I was paying attention to was, to be honest with you, and I wanted to see. You know, you can tell a lot by by just looking at deer shit what they're feeding on at that at that point in the year. You know, is it dark? Um, you know, what size is it? Like, kind of what colors? What I noticed is there was a bunch of like little wood fibers and all the deer shit that i've been finding the last three or four weeks which tells me that right now they're basically on woody brows in the big woods like if they're doing they're eating green briar and they're eating a bunch of woody brows and i verified that you know i i watched that buck feed on woody brows so um yeah you can you can tell a lot from that too so that's kind of how i try to navigate secondary food sources okay can you describe woody brows for some that might not know i I have a feeling I, I've got some guesses. I haven't really dove into that much, but um, I want to hear what you have to say about it. I mean, in the right areas, I've seen deer get to the point where they even like pine trees. You know, they'll eat the lower branches of pine trees. But uh, like maple forest, if you find some good maple, they'll nibble on all the all the ends of that. They're they're nibbling on. I mean, basically anything at this point. From what I can, from what I can tell, yeah, I've seen them digging up and eating like old acorn shells, even, um, which is probably producing that same type of fiber. You know, when they don't have a lot of food, they're basically they're, they're scrounging around for anything they can find at this point. Okay, wow, that's so they're pretty much eating wood and bad acorns. I I checked every acorn that I found, and they, what's that? Oh, sorry about that. I just said in green prior too, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I checked every acorn I could today and every single one was crunchy, smushy. 
it it wouldn't like the the firm ones that you get early on and everything and um but do you feel so are the chestnut oaks like that this time of year and they still eat them they they start to get softer but i don't find them like they're not as they're not as like uh they don't get they're not as moldy as like if you found red oaks late season or if you find like white oaks late season that have been like maybe even from years past um no the chestnut oaks like if you break them open they still look like an acorn inside for the most part uh the one thing that i did not like that i noticed with acorns too is like they feel mushy but if you turn them over and they have that little bug hole in them they're they're junk too it's the same thing like okay. because they have that bug inside them nine times out of ten mm -hmm. All right. Wow. Oh, this is good stuff, dude. I'm I'm sorry you had a rough season, but at the same rate, I feel like you're just because you didn't, you know, technically get the the tag filled and everything, you probably got more dangerous. Um, that's you learned a lot. Yeah, I feel good. I feel I feel really good to be honest with you. I feel like I learned a lot this year. I think it was my my best learning year I've had. You know, like having a lot of success in the first couple of days of season over and over is great, but there's not like you don't get the same amount of experience. And so to grind it out really hard one year felt really good to be honest with you. I mean, I've wanted to hunt late season in Ohio and I'm, I I might have done this to myself to be honest with you because I talked <laughs> about hunting late season quite a bit um but yeah it was it was definitely a learning experience i feel pretty good good deal well dude i appreciate you coming on and uh telling your story here i know that that can be tough when it's not like all sunshine and rainbows so and i appreciate your time as well um guys thanks for tuning in and uh we will catch you on the next one this has been fueled by the outdoors i've been your host chris leppert and we've been joined tonight by Jake Bush. Ooh, before I let you go, though, why don't you do me a favor and uh, plug your channel and maybe some other things if you would like? Yeah, so uh, my Instagram is just the Jake Bush. And then you can add me on Facebook at uh, Jake Bush. <laughs> um, and then if you want to head on over and check out the Latitude page, I'm... Uh, doing some things with latitude now and they're they're a great company I, I really like all the guys over there and we hunt we hunt together well and uh they're designing some really nice products so yeah if you want to go check out latitude that'd be cool as well heck yeah man i look forward to uh watching the grittiest on the grit next year that's going to be really cool i'm excited for it yeah mm -hmm. there's going to be some good hunts on there there's there's some killers in the group so i'm excited yes amen to that well dude I can't thank you enough. And uh, everybody go check out Jake Bush at Legends of the Hunt. If you've not watched, um, at the very least, Dad's book, you got to watch that. It's a hell of a story and one hell of a hunt. Um, guys, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. See you. <laughs>